Hello, and welcome to Linux Action News, episode 284, recorded on March 15th, 2023. I'm Chris. And I'm Wes. Hello, Wes. Let's do the news. The Linux community was delighted to see Kali Linux version 2023.1 released this week. Kali is famous for providing a distribution packed with tools for offensive security and penetration testing. Also noteworthy, this release marks the 10th anniversary of the Kali Linux 1.0 release. That is really impressive. Congratulations to the project. And it's a bit mind-boggling how fast time has flown uh, because Kali Linux is a rebuild of a distribution I used back in production years ago called Backtrack Linux, which had its first release 17 years ago. <laughs> Version 1.0 of Kali was released on March 13th, 2013. And Kali Linux is celebrating their big milestone with purple. Yeah, Kali Purple targets blue and purple teams practicing defensive security. It includes tools for network monitoring, threat hunting, incident response, digital forensics, and a lot more. Here's how the project describes it. Kali Purple started out as a proof of concept, evolved into a framework, then a platform, and now it has become so big that we don't even have a word for it anymore. So why don't we just call it a movement? A movement to make enterprise-grade security accessible to everyone. Oh, that's a big goal. So reading through all of that, there's a few things that stand out to me. So it sounds like the core idea of Cali Purple is that focus on defensive security, like Wes mentioned, which that's sort of a, a new area for them. It's it includes bringing on software that enables hardening in various areas, such as vulnerability scanning, incident tracking and response. Uh, they have a big focus on packet capture and learning around that intrusion detection. I mean, it seems like overall a very significant initiative by the project. I'd say in summary, you can look at it in the, the practicals. They're bringing over 100 defensive tools, documentation, and they have this Kali co-pilot builds automated attack scripts. <laughs> There's a lot of other stuff in there too. And speaking of that automated attack script builder, there's an online component to Cali Purple. They have a hub, like a, a community place to share their practice packet captures and to share their autopilot scripts for training exercises. And of course, there's a Discord. Aside from the introduction of Cali Purple, the desktop session, well, it's seen some nice improvements as well. The default desktop now sports the recently updated XFCE 4.18. There's also a new theme, a new wallpaper, and mainline Linux 6.1 kernel, bringing new hardware and other nice-to-have driver support. Existing Kali users, well, you can just apt upgrade. If you're not using Kali yet, you'll find a download link in our show notes. Sticking with the security focus for one more story, CubesOS 4.1.2 was released this week. The project writes, This release aims to consolidate all the security patches, bug fixes, and upstream template OS upgrades that have occurred since the initial Cubes 4.1.0 release. Our goal is to provide a secure and convenient way for users to install or reinstall the latest stable Cubes release with an up-to-date ISO. That feels like an especially appreciated feature for this type of distribution. 
For those of you who maybe haven't had a chance to try it out, I encourage you to give it a go. It's fascinating. Cubes OS is a security-focused Linux system really meant for a single user on a desktop computer or a laptop. It uses virtualization to create and manage isolated compartments that are called cubes. And then you can run your various different applications or components in those VMs. So you get security through VM isolation for all your main apps. And a couple of the new features that grabbed our attention was the new Fedora 37 template and the option to boot the latest available Linux kernel when starting the installer. I think that means a whole new generation of systems just got a lot easier to run Cubes OS on. A significant user experience regression when switching to Wayland might have been solved this week. After a change was merged into Qt that allows Wayland clients to survive compositor restarts. Yeah, like when your compositor just crashes and all your open applications also have to close, or maybe that game you're exiting just takes out your entire desktop session because it goes sideways for some reason. It it definitely stinks when you lose your entire desktop session. In the X11 days, you could restart your entire desktop environment and not lose your open applications or your active work. And I had just kind of come to accept that this was a structural issue that we were just going to have to live with when running Wayland. Well, KDE developer David Edmondson thought differently, Chris, and submitted a patch that enables clients to optionally survive compositor restarts. In his merge, he writes, This patch introduces an optional mechanism for clients to survive a crash and reconnect seemingly seamlessly. In the event of a disconnect from the compositor socket, we simply try to reconnect again and replay any data needed so that we maintain a consistent state to where we left off. Oh man, that could be a major quality of life improvement for Wayland users. And he gives us some more insights into how this hat trick is going to work. He writes, from an application point of view, any open pop-ups will be dismissed and we will potentially get a new frame callback, but it will almost be entirely transparent. Users of custom Q Wayland client extensions will be notified via the active change signal and rebuild as though the compositor had withdrawn and re-announced the global. OpenGL context will be marked as invalid and handled the same way a GPU reset is. Now, of course, we should note that this is only going to partially solve the problem. I mean, GTK will need a similar patch, and this patch will be off by default, at least at first. Yeah, and then there's also the whole timing thing. We're going to be waiting a bit. This patch will be introduced later this year into Qt 6.6. And as we've covered on this show, the Plasma Project is just beginning their work on Qt 6. And we don't know where in the Qt 6 branch they're actually going to stick. So when it makes it to a distro near you, well, your guess is as good as ours. But, you know, we'll keep an eye on it and let you know when it does ship. A brief follow-up to a story we covered in more detail recently, DreamWorks' open Moonray render code has been published on GitHub as of today, the day we record this. Moonray has been developed at DreamWorks for a while, and it's in continuous active development. They're hoping to engage the community, and this render is kind of famous. It's responsible for some of my kids' favorite movies. It's actually kind of a big deal. We have more details in Linux Action News 281, and of course, you can check out their website, openmoonray.org. 
a quick heads up for users of the popular IPMI tool. The IPMI tool repository has been locked by GitHub staff, and its maintainer is currently suspended. Evidently, the developer was employed by a sanctioned Russian company. The repo remains in public read-only mode and will likely be relocated, but it serves as a reminder, once again, about the downsides of centralization. Linode.com slash LAN. Go there to get $100 in 60-day credit on a new account at Linode.com slash LAN, and you can support the show while you are checking out fast, reliable cloud hosting with real human being support that is 30 to 50% cheaper than the hyperscaler duopolies that want to lock you into their crazy platforms. And Linode still brings the great features that we love, like S3-compatible object storage, cloud firewalls that prevent the traffic from ever even hitting your rig, and backups that are easy to understand and clear. Also, some sane metrics that you can view right there in a dashboard and alerts when things look a little sideways on your rig. It's all done so simply with Linode's easy-to-use dashboard, too. They have 11 data centers around the world for you to choose from and a dozen more coming online this year. Go see why everything we deploy in the cloud goes on Linode. It's the only place we trust and it's the only place that's fast enough for us. Go get that 100 bucks and kick the tires. You go to linode.com slash LAN. We use it, love it, and I think you will too. Get the $100 and try it for yourself. Linode.com slash L-A-N. That's linode.com slash LAN. And thanks to Collide. Collide.com slash LAN. Collide can help Okta users achieve 100% fleet compliance. If a device isn't compliant, well, the user can't log in to your cloud applications until they've fixed the problem. Collide's solution ensures device compliance as part of authentication, which reduces support tickets and frustration while ensuring 100% compliance. Learn more or book a demo at collide.com slash LAN. This week, Docker announced that it will delete images from open source organizations that do not meet its criteria for the Docker-sponsored open source program. If they don't want their images deleted, Docker will require them to pay a $420 annual fee. Right. To make it clear, Docker does have an open source program that image authors can apply to. But that program has requirements, including things like, quote, not have a pathway to commercialization. So recently, many have argued that Docker's definition of open source is out of touch. Speaking of the downsides of centralization, and as you might expect, this affects many popular open source projects that use Docker Hub to distribute their images. Just a few off the top of my head, Node.js, OpenFAS, Ghost, and lots of others. And it kind of seems a bit outrageous to me, as somebody who's watched Docker since the very beginning, it just sort of appears that we're watching yet another attempt in a string of Docker's continued pathetic failed attempts to find a revenue model. Docker's decision is unfair and harmful to the open source community, and it seemingly imposes unreasonable restrictions and hoops that they'd have to jump through, and fees if they can't jump through those hoops. So projects that rely on Docker Hub for their distribution and visibility are hurt by this, and some of those projects have helped make Docker Hub the resource it's considered today. 
It also seems a little short-sighted in some sense. I mean, it kind of alienates users and developers and encourages them maybe to just switch to another platform entirely, one that might be more supportive of a wider array of open-source projects. At the same time, I mean, you can't understand why Docker would be getting a little more serious about enforcing the rules it does have and trying to keep costs under control. They do host a lot of container images. But regardless of their justification, we've seen guides popping online like weeds, helping interested users migrate off Docker Hub to a number of alternatives. Yeah, and there's lots of ways to uh, particularly crack that egg, but I think my thoughts are drifting more to the ramifications of this 30-day window they've given projects. feels like it's a bit of a systems time bomb. I mean, how many boxes are out there? How many headless systems? Just thinking of my own, even, that are just deployed out there that are pulling image updates from Docker Hub. How am I going to know if one of them is one of the projects that had to delete their image and go away? Um, And I think despite what the Docker cranks tell you, Docker Hub does offer some value beyond just the network effect. I mean, I'm the first to say, avoid centralization, have your project somewhere else. Don't let one ginormous company be the decider of what you can and can't do with your project. But at the same time, Docker Hub does have value. Um, So when Docker starts deleting these images, users are going to lose access to a trusted and verified image that's been scanned for vulnerabilities, that supposedly has been checked for security issues. I I just don't really understand what happens to end users when those projects vanish. How are they even supposed to know where to go? And I've heard people concerned about squatters jumping in and stealing the names and even tricking end users. A worrying concern to be sure. Thankfully, it appears based on some comments on Twitter that typo squatting, as it's known, might not be quite as big of an issue as some had feared. Uh, Justin Cormack, Docker's CTO, wrote... When we remove accounts, we do not free up the namespace. So squatting is not possible. The OpenVAS project kind of wanted a little more clarification and wrote, So if we let the OpenVAS namespace lapse, you'll protect the namespace indefinitely and block anyone from purchasing it, which got a yes from Justin Cormack. I got to agree, though, Chris. Whatever you think of the eventual policy, the rollout has been sharply criticized. There's a lot of pipelines to productions that directly call into Docker Hub, and 30 days just isn't a huge amount of notice or time. And the notification itself, well, it was missing a lot of details, like what exactly happens to polls just start failing? Is it just that no more updates can be pushed? None of that was made clear. They also didn't provide a tool for folks that were going to need to move from an organization over to an individual user account, You're just going to have to figure out how to do that by yourself. I think there's a lot more to discuss for the implications, and of course, there'll be more news that will follow as this policy actually goes into effect. But if you're interested, we're going to dig into this a little more with our buddy Alex from Self-Hosted in this Sunday's Linux Unplugged, episode 502. You know, I think a bit ironically, I, I, I see a lot of people running to GitHub's container registry. Maybe that's better. Might be an easier workflow for them, but I don't know if it solves the centralization problem. I suspect over the next month, we're going to see a lot of different projects reevaluate how they deliver those images to end users. Maybe we'll see a few announcements. 
And if anything impacts the world of Linux and open source, you know we'll cover it right here. So don't miss a single episode of Linux Action News. Head over to linuxactionnews.com slash subscribe for all the ways to get new episodes. And linuxactionnews.com slash contact for ways to get in touch. Give us a shout or let us know if we missed a story. Boost in with a new podcast app and tell us what you'd like us to cover. And don't worry, we'll be back here next week with our take on the latest Linux and open source news. Thanks for joining us. And that's all the news for this week. <laughs>